Well, good afternoon and welcome to A Reason for Hope and happy Monday. My name is Adrian and I'm in studio live streaming from Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, Arizona. And in studio with me is our senior pastor, Scott Richards. That is I, that guilty is, as charged. That is the. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and other assorted pronouns we could throw around. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I've always thought to put on my like one of my social media ones, uh, the, thou, and master, or something like <laughs> that, just to be silly. But Matter, uh, master of space, time, and dimension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of course, with you and that that freaky magic stuff that you do, oh, yeah. people might believe that you are, in fact, master of space, time, and dimension. Speaking of which, uh, if you're a part of our community, you live in the Tucson area, I'm, and, and you happen to be in the junior-senior high age every Sunday morning at 9.30, during our second service, I'll be teaching uh, Unmasking the Masquerade, a journey through exploration of the supernatural truth and whether Jesus was a myth or a magician or the Messiah. So if you are in the junior, senior high age, uh, come join us for the next six weeks. Oh boy, that sounds like, uh, I'd love to join you, but I guess I'll be <laughs> otherwise engaged during that time. Yeah, so, yeah. Bit bigger. Uh... Te- teaching the big folks out there trying to keep them awake that's right that's <laughs> yeah. right yeah. well if you're new here we are a uh this is called the reason for hope we are a, a weekday bible answer program where you our live stream audience can engage with us about your questions concerning the christian worldview whether or not uh, the bible can be trusted as historical or even preserved throughout the ages Um, Whether or not we have good reasons for believing that God exists, that God really raised Jesus from the dead, that and many, many other questions that we get on the program, even if you just want to know the context and how to apply a specific passage to your life. So we'd encourage you to join us. There are multiple ways you can do so. We live stream to Facebook. So if you have a Facebook account, you can join us at uh, just search for our church name, Calvary Christian Fellowship or CCF Tucson and join our Facebook group or I should say our page, and then you can watch the live stream and just leave your question in the comments section. We also live stream simultaneously to YouTube. There you will search for A Reason for Hope. And if you want to go straight to our URL, it's youtube.com forward slash at A Reason for Hope 546. And lastly, if you want to watch the live stream and leave a question, but you don't want to be on a social media platform, then you can do so by just going straight to our website. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com. And there you can not only watch the live stream, but you can also um, click that Watch Live tab. And uh, we have a nifty little comment box you can use. You can click a little button for prayer if you have something that you would like to have our prayer team go to prayer on your behalf. Then I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. Also, if you're a part of our community, we have an app that you can download from the Apple or Google Play Store. This app is great. I'm a little biased because I did help develop it, but uh, <laughs> it's a he's, it's a wonderful. He's pulling little a muscle, patting himself on the back as we speak. <laughs> it's hard but, to do uh, that. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but if you uh, if you download the app, it's got our calendar events, all our events that are going on. You can watch live stream of all our services, listen to past episodes, including this program. There's also a, a, a function where you can join and create chat groups. Uh, you can check in your kids to Sunday school or whatever it is that um, we have going on. All kinds of neat little features that we're adding as well. And there's also a digital Bible built into it. So if you want to just have one little app to do all the things you need to do when you're at church, then we'd encourage you to download it. 
Uh, we also live stream all of our services. That is our Wednesday night Oasis service where we are currently going through the book of Ezekiel, as well as our Sunday morning services, which are 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 a.m. You can add our channel to your smart device. So if you have an Amazon Fire product or a Roku product, search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can add our channel. You'll, you'll see that little red icon with the white dove, and you'll know that's us. Now, if you want to ask a question on this program, but uh, don't want to have your social media profile or your name out in the public, would like to do so discreetly, you can simply email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's all letters, no numbers for those of you listening on the radio. And that, in fact, this is ideal, even though the broadcast that we do on the live stream ends up on the radio the, the following day. <clears throat> if you email us a question and we do handle it, you can just listen on the radio the next day. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. Also, if you want to follow our senior pastor on the X platform, formerly Twitter, you can do so by adding... I don't know, do you add people? Whatever it is you do to follow someone on Twitter, <laughs> you just yeah. type in at Scott R4H. That's at Scott R4H. Is his and then on the right-hand side of your screen, you'll see the little icon that says following. Right there, you can bring that up. Oh, yes. Uh, you just click on that, and uh, when I post stuff, yes, uh, it's going to come up. Uh, <laughs> we have an interesting thread we've developed uh, in... Uh, concert with uh, the study that we did in second thessalonians chapter two on sunday morning about uh, strong delusion that god would oh, turn right. people over to strong delusion if you guys got questions about that uh particular uh aspect of uh, the last days and the end times uh please feel free to uh, get in touch with us or uh, send us a question about it we'll be happy to follow up but uh, you know jeff foxworthy uh the comedian has a uh, very famous routine where, you know, he says, uh, you know, if, uh, you think there's only two kinds of music, country and Western, uh, you <laughs> may be a redneck. Uh, so I'm sort of riffing off of that. Uh, and uh, the, the punchline is you may be under strong delusion. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, we posted some things that certainly have stirred some people up, like if you believe that Jesus would be in support of Hamas under these circumstances today, you just may be under strong delusion. Hmm. Uh, if you believe that uh, the only difference between a fetus and a baby is whether the child is wanted or not, you may be under strong delusion. And we, hmm. we go on there. If you believe in jettisoning, jettisoning 39 out of the 66 books of the Bible, uh, you may be under strong delusion, and, and so it goes. So uh, nice. we put a few more up during the day and they seem to uh, be uh, either scratching people, some people where they itch, or itching some people where they didn't know they need to scratch. That's nice. what we try to do with all wow. of this. So that that's going on in our, our Twitter feed today. Wow, I, I missed that one. But yeah. uh, then again, they're, they're all had over a busy it day today. So, so. Yeah. But uh, that's great, yeah. And so I'd encourage you to follow Pastor Scott. And if you wanna leave a question for this program, I, I believe Scott does have his uh, x platform up so he will yep. catch the tweet if you tweet a question yep. we'd love to get it there as well so before we take your questions and do a little uh, update on the weekend on news as it relates to uh, the state of israel and biblical prophecy and world events and the coming of our lord uh, we'll take a moment to pray and ask the lord to be with us today yeah let's do that father we thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to uh, be in your word especially during times like these, boy, what a, 
what a, a comfort we have. It just feels like you're wrapping your loving arms around us, drawing us into the, the shadow of your wings, Lord, uh, where we can find refuge in these days as we explore your word. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth in clarity without compromise, uh, speaking the truth in love, that you would cause Adrian and I be perceptive, not just the questions being asked, but maybe even the questions underneath the questions being asked. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Father, that uh, you are the Lord that can use your word to get down to the issues of the heart and speak to us in a deep and abiding way that we never even dreamed possible before. So we give you this time. We pray you would guide the conversation. And thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, your word has all the answers to the questions that matter most in this crazy world. Mm-hmm. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, um, lots to talk about as far as what's going on in not just in Israel, but also the Middle East in general. Uh, those of you who have been following along with us uh, know that we've been talking quite a bit about uh, the uh, campaign in uh, Gaza against uh, the terrorists of, of Gaza. Uh, apparently, uh, John Corbin of Britain uh, feels that uh, it is inappropriate to call Hamas terrorists. And so he has drawn the line. Uh, the minister, the, the uh, head of the Ministry of the Interior, was forced to resign uh, today from the uh, government uh, because apparently she said some things that were offensive to the, the pro-Hamas demonstrators. Uh, she thought that they were out of control and that the police were catering to them, particularly in London, said so, and now she is out of a job. So uh, lots uh, going on as far as the battle for hearts and minds are concerned. But uh, what's happening right now, uh, as as best we know, uh, the last updates that we've had uh, from Israel, probably one of the most important stories that broke today is that a U.S. intelligence official has confirmed Israel's claim that Hamas's command and control center, their operations center, is located under the Al-Shifa Medical Center in Gaza City. Uh, If you were following on our Twitter feed, we posted that uh, Israel, uh, rather than, say, dropping a single bunker-busting bomb on the Al-Shifa hospital and doing away with this command and control center, uh, again, is going out of its way to be mindful of the fact that there are 1,400 patients in receiving treatment in the Gaza hospital. Over 400 staff, including doctors and nurses, are uh, working in uh, the Al-Shifa Medical Center in Gaza City. But uh, once again, uh, our U.S. intelligence agencies have noted that uh, Hamas fighters frequently siphon off fuel that's been intended for the hospital. One of the uh, things that we posted was a live action picture on our Twitter feed of IDF uh, soldiers risking their lives, by the way, uh, under sniper fire to bring uh, a, uh, at least uh, 300 liters of fuel that would allow the Al-Shifa hospital to continue to run its electricity so it could continue to do operations, continue to provide life support for those who need it. Uh, immediately after these uh, 300 liters were dropped off, apparently uh, some Hamas operatives were dispatched, seized this from the Al-Shifa Medical Center, or at least uh, a good portion of it. And uh, what do they use it for? Well, they use it to be able to fuel uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, air, the air conditioning units and the air supply units in their massive tunnel system. 
the tunnel system issue is a real dicey one right now. You know, people are saying, well, why don't they just, again, use ground-penetrating radar and you know, blow up the whole thing? Well, certainly that would be one possibility that could be involved, although some of these tunnels are up to 200 feet below the surface of the ground. And multi-level. Yeah, and uh, the, the biggest reason that Israel holds off on all of this is, as we mentioned, there's well over 200 hostages being held somewhere in that tunnel system. And until Israel knows where they are, uh, you know, again, from what I understand, even uh, United States Special Forces are on the ground uh, trying to locate where these uh, hostages are being held. It would be really surprising to me if they're held all in one spot. Uh, you know, they're going to probably be widely distributed through all of this uh, because Hamas wants to keep their tunnel system active and operational and protecting them, not the average Gazan, but protecting them as long as uh, they possibly can. So, um, you know, when, you know, why doesn't Israel just cut off all the air? Well, if they do that, then the hostages die as well. And, and uh, you, you talk about uh, having to deal with things with kid gloves. There was a report that one of the hostages actually gave birth uh, within the last few days under these conditions. Uh, they, uh, apparently there was a raid on one uh, potential site where they thought hostages were being kept. They got there too late, but they did find all kinds of, say, baby bottles and diapers and all the kinds of things that you would associate with uh, taking care of infants. Uh, the uh, kidnappers got away uh, before uh, the uh, rescue could uh, you know, be completed. But the, the fact of the matter is that's one of the reasons why Israel is going slow here and actually putting their own soldiers in harm's way. Uh, it would be much easier to be able to do this remotely. It would be much easier just to use the technology they have, uh, including a uh, sticky bomb, as they call it, uh, where you drop it into a tunnel and it completely cuts off all of the circulation in the tunnel, creates this almost uh, instantly concrete level hardening substance that traps people inside. Well, you're trapping hostages mm -hmm. as well. So uh, we need to pray for God to intervene for great wisdom, for the commanders involved, for the Lord to intervene and direct special forces to be able to find these things. But the, the bottom line is there was a lot of debate uh, that was going on about whether uh, this was Israeli propaganda about uh, having these command and control centers under hospitals, and you know Hamas would never do that. Well, the, the story broke about the U.S. intelligence uh, official confirming major command and control center under the Al-Shifa hospital uh, from no uh, less a source than CNN itself, which had gotten into trouble uh, because of its association with uh, some stringers who were uh, there on the ground ready to take pictures before the October 7th attacks took place, which raises the question, did they know in advance of these things? Why would they be there? on just a sleepy uh, Saturday morning? Uh, you know, why were they prepared to take pictures? And if they were alerted beforehand, why would these stringers who are in the employ of uh, groups like Reuters and AP, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, why wouldn't these individuals have an obligation to be able to contact and warn people in advance that this operation was about to take place? So a lot of hand-wringing, and a lot of uh, questioning of journalistic ethics 
Uh, CNN, as you know, still kind of bears the scars for uh, their putting Baghdad Bob on the air during uh, Operation Desert Storm uh, and bragging about the fact that they and they alone had access to uh, Saddam Hussein and uh, what was going on on that side of things. Well, turns out that uh, they were given that access because they spun things the way Saddam Hussein wanted them spun. Uh, so, you know, after all of that, it was kind of like, well, mistakes were made, we're learning, we're moving on. Uh, one of the things we warn you about often on our Twitter feed is uh, don't get your news about what's going on over there from legacy media, as it's known, the alphabet networks. Uh, you're you're going to get a lot of spin mixed in. Uh, you know, I'd highly recommend, again, uh, checking in with our good friend Amir Safadi. Uh, you know, if you want to uh, download his uh, the uh, Telegram program, he has a Telegram channel that he updates on a regular basis. And, you know, once again, I've uh, discovered uh, that, uh, that uh, Amir uh, really is very, very well connected and uh, will keep you uh, up to the date on the most salient moments that are involved here. Uh, speaking of salient moments, uh, another uh, very uh, troubling uh, development happened over the weekend. As you know, we've been uh, talking quite a bit uh, about uh, the possibility of another front opening up against Israel from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Well, uh, apparently uh, Hezbollah has uh, murdered one Israeli citizen. His name is Shalom Abudi. Uh, he was murdered on Sunday when anti-tank missiles were fired by Hezbollah at his truck. He was working for an Israeli electrical company, the Israeli Electric Corporation, uh, just basically checking lines and they blew him to kingdom come, if you pardon the expression. Now, the fact that they found the remains of uh, Shalom Abud's body, uh, Abudi's body, uh, is really significant because there was a rumor that uh, Hezbollah had kidnapped Shalom Abudi. And if uh, they had kidnapped an Israeli citizen for the purpose of taking hostages, mm. that would have been tantamount to Israel declaring full-scale war against Hezbollah in Lebanon. As such, uh, there are mortars uh, being fired by Hezbollah into Israel on a regular basis. Israel has responded by scrambling fighter jets, striking Hezbollah military outputs. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Following a barrage of rockets, anti-tank missiles, and mortars launched into Israeli territory, uh, the interesting development along this line is that Israeli jets are, have been reported as operating over the city of Beirut at this point. So uh, they're uh, communicating in no uncertain terms how serious they are. Uh, the other uh, area of seriousness is that uh, apparently there have been over 52 attacks now by Iranian-backed Shiite militias against U.S. targets. U.S. military emplacements in Syria and in Iraq have come under fire. There have been casualties. Uh, we haven't been told specifically the amount of casualties because as soon as that comes out, it's like, well, what are we doing? Why are we allowing Iran to attack us with impunity? Uh, there's a fascinating uh, picture that we posted on our Twitter feed, or X as it's known, uh, that shows the status 
of an incredible marshalling of U.S. military resources. We mentioned to you there are two carrier groups that are operating. Uh, we told you both of them were in the eastern Mediterranean. That's not the case any longer. Uh, the first carrier group that arrived in the region, uh, which was the USS Gerald Ford and its carrier uh, escorts, is in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, the USS Dwight uh, D. Eisenhower that uh, steamed into this area has now positioned itself south of uh, the Red Sea, uh, strategically positioned between Yemen, which has been launching drones and ballistic missiles at Israel on a regular basis, and, uh, and Israel. Uh, there is also a uh, U.S. tactical submarine that is operating there that, from what I understand, uh, has the ability to launch over 154 uh, sophisticated uh, drones and missiles, uh, and uh, they have nuclear capabilities. So uh, the, the, the saber-rattling is proceeding <clears throat> apace. What would be enough, what would be the tripwire that would cause the United States to unleash these kind of forces, especially on Iran? I would say if there is a massive uh, attack uh, that results in a huge amount of U.S. casualties, I, <coughs> I would think that would probably be enough to do it. Uh, so the fact of the matter is uh, there were rocket sirens that have been sounded in uh, the, uh, near uh, Haifa. Uh, there have been also uh, sirens sounded across the upper Galilee region near the Lebanese border uh, amid a suspected hostile aircraft infiltration apparently uh, that was uh, later uh, confirmed to be a false alarm so uh, mortar shells have been launched uh, that have landed in open fields uh, IDF fighters have struck terror cells uh, operating along the Lebanese border overnight uh, it's definitely heating up in that direction and I think the thing that is really the individual that is really under a lot of pressure and uh, what may be the trigger in all of this is Hassan Nasrallah, who's the head of Hezbollah, has made not one but now two speeches that were widely anticipated by his followers as a call to jihad. The one on Saturday took place on what is known as Martyrs' Day on uh, the Shiite Islamic calendar. And uh, there were a number of people are saying, yeah, he's going to really show those Israelis and turn loose the the dogs of war and so on, mm. um, basically mumbled a lot and said, uh, we are you know, supporting the martyrs of uh, Hamas and uh, they are doing mm. Allah's work, but that was about all he said. And so guerrilla tactics going back and forth, that's basically what's happening. Uh, the question comes up, okay, we have Hezbollah in the north, we have Hamas in the south, uh, we did a, a Prophecy Update Bible study on Psalm 83, uh, which predicts Israel being uh, attacked by a semicircle of people groups that would also include uh, Tyre, which is in Lebanon. Uh, it would include uh, the uh, territories that were held uh, by uh, the Assyrians, uh, which would uh, bring Turkey and Iran into uh, this particular battle zone. Mm -hmm. People have been asking, so do you think what we're seeing here is the setup for all of this? At this point, I would say no, for one reason. Uh, about uh, half of the semicircle, you've got the top part and the bottom part, maybe a third of the semicircle, 
uh, would uh, only be complete if, uh, say, Jordan decided to get involved in all of this. And at this point, Jordan knows uh, where their bread is buttered. Uh, they know that Israel is uh, their defense, especially uh, the uh, 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 the Hashemites who run uh, pretty much everything in Jordan, who are a minority, by the way. The majority are individuals who would identify as Palestinians. Uh, you've probably had some experience uh, with these folks, Adrian, uh, but uh, the, the look on your face. <laughs> but, uh, you know, until uh, something would happen like a coup that would take out King Abdullah, uh, I don't see Jordan wanting to get involved with all of this, although there's going to be great pressure exerted on him by the majority population Palestinians mm -hmm. in Jordan <clears throat> to do something. It's but, bound to happen eventually. Yeah, but uh, and, it, and it will happen eventually, but I don't see it happening right now, mm. mainly because Jordan is too indebted to the West, too indebted to the United States. Uh, the, uh, the, again, the Hashemites that run uh, Jordan are very well taken care of and supported by U.S. interests. They don't want to uh, alienate that if they can possibly do that. A coup, who knows, you know, something like mm. that could possibly happen. But the Hashemites, although they're a, a demographic minority, are the majority in terms of the armed forces, in terms of economics, in terms of mm. government. So they really pull all the strings there in Jordan. We visited Israel. You know, you go to the uh, site in the Jordan River where uh, John the Baptist uh, baptized uh, Jesus. One of the things you have to do is drive through this heavily chain-linked fence with concertina barbed wire on the top with these uh, very intimidating signs on it saying live minefield mm. do not trespass so that is a leftover from the conflicts in the past including the Yom Kippur uh, war that that took place in 73 uh, you know the, the tensions certainly are there but especially uh, since they're <clears throat> really a colonial outpost I mean in a sense they they're a colonial installation. The yeah, leadership. Yeah, in a sense, in a get. sense, they're the poor cousins of the Saudis. Mm. They they relate to the Saudi royal family. So uh, as long as they have the Saudis backing, as long as they have the United States backing, uh, and uh, really they look at Israel quite a bit for their defense. Uh, I don't see them getting involved at this point, but that doesn't mean don't take a look at Psalm eighty three, and see what's going to happen. Uh, this coalition of nations is going to invade. Uh, they're going to be wiped mm. out supernaturally in such a way that they are going to know who the true and living God is. Mm. It's going to spur a, uh, a revival, a turning of these Muslim people to faith in Jesus. And wow. we're already seeing the stage being mm. set for that. You know, what <clears throat> I found very interesting is originally I thought the reason these surrounding nations would not take in any Palestinians from, say, the Gaza Strip or the West Bank was because they wanted to continue making Israel look bad and create, and the longer the conflict is going on, it benefits them because they, they benefit from the conflict because they, they want Israel gone too, even though they may have peace treaties and so on. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm reading more and more reports of state leaders saying things like, no, we just don't want them here because we see what happens when they... They come into our into these different places. They we, we will be run by terrorists. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 no doubt about it. Egypt wants nothing to do with them. Why? Because Hamas is just another name for the Muslim Brotherhood, mm -hmm. and the Muslim Brotherhood were the ones that uh, 
uh, basically President al-Sisi uh, was deadly enemies with. Yeah. So he doesn't want uh, a bunch of supporters mm-hmm. of the Muslim Brotherhood to come back in and destabilize his country. That's it why is. his defense minister said, uh, if you start sending Palestinians across the border to us, we'll declare war on Israel. Wow. So they're, they're, that, yeah. they're that serious about it. Yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood is the world's foremost radicalized version of Islam. It started in Pakistan, and uh, it continues to grow in popularity throughout Islamic uh, countries. Yeah, yeah, there's no <clears throat> doubt. There's no doubt. Well, so anyway, gotta... that's what's going on. Uh, and we'll keep you up to date on bulletins as they break, as we used to say in the news biz. Yeah, thanks for the update. Uh, we got an email question, and I'm not sure if this is, it doesn't really necessarily relate to the Bible, but it does relate to the conflict. These kinds of questions are kind of hard to answer because, <laughs> you know, whenever we hear news, we, get, we have to process it through the news sources. But it's a good question. David wanted to know, hi, questions for Hope. I keep seeing on social media allegations that IDF soldiers have raped Palestinian women several times over the years. This is being used to validate the atrocities that were committed on October 7th. Do you know anything about these allegations, or what can we do to respond if we hear allegations like this? Thank you. Well, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, anybody can make—it's kind of like being sued. Anybody can say anything about anyone. And— you know, when we take a look, for instance, at the materials, the instructions, the intelligence that was taken from the Hamas terrorists that invaded the, the cities or the towns and cities around Israel, uh, around uh, uh, Gaza, uh, we discovered that they were specifically given instructions to rape and uh, to uh, uh, do these kind of atrocities as a form of terroristic warfare. Uh, if Sean was here, he could probably give us chapter and verse from the Quran about uh, Muhammad's instructions about such terrorist tactics being something that's very traditional as far as uh, the jihadi playbook is concerned. Uh, when someone says, oh, you know, Israeli troops have raped Muslim women, uh, you know, once again, I would say uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Uh, where is the proof that this sort of thing has happened? Uh, what, generally speaking, uh, can we say has been the conduct of the IDF, even in an incredibly emotionally charged campaign like this one has been? It's been incremental. Uh, it has uh, gone out of its way to uh, make sure that uh, Palestinian uh, citizens, just the, the rank and file, not the Hamas fighters are given plenty of opportunity to get out of harm's way. Uh, intermittent, uh, not so much tactical ceasefires, but humanitarian ceasefires have been going on on a regular basis, allowing Gazans to move from North Gaza, where the majority of the fighting is going on, down to the south out of harm's way. Uh, when uh, we stop and think of how the mainstream media, as we understand it today, uh, is, uh, well, not what I would call in Israel's corner. Uh, If there were substantiated allegations of uh, Israelis raping Muslim women, um, you know, uh, murdering innocent, defenseless people, and so on, 
you better believe that it would be shown on big screens in precincts like London and New York, uh, where these demonstrations are going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure uh, that the, uh, you know, and, and I don't need to name names, but some of the uh, more left-leaning politicians in our own country that are going for the old moral equivalence card in all of this. That, yeah, Hamas has been terrible, but, you know, Israel, you know, they're, you know. Uh, if they could uh, show something like this has happened, they would. Now, does that mean that every member of the IDF is pure as driven snow? No. Uh, as they say, war is hell. Did United States troops in World War II commit what we would call war crimes along the way? Well, certainly some of them did. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is uh, Israel has one distinct difference that is going for it versus what, what uh, say, even the Allies had in World War II. Uh, if people wanted to see what the Allies were doing in World War II, they would have to uh, have a cameraman with a film-based camera take the pictures. They'd have to go back to a dark room and develop them. Then these pictures would have to be shipped from the sites of battle um, across the Atlantic uh, to uh, the newsreels that they would show in movie theaters, usually a week or two behind. If you wanted to cover up atrocities, that would be a great way to do it because it would get through all sorts of layers of censors and, mm. and so on before it was made available for public consumption. The IDF, on the other hand, is under a microscope, not just because we have questionable actors like, uh, say, Reuters and the AP that have uh, promoted false stories, mm. patently false stories, like the uh, Israelis targeting the Al-Shifa hospital, when in reality it was a misfiring rocket from Islamic Jihad. This has been proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody denies this any longer. Didn't it hit the hospital at a parking lot next to the hospital? And although AP and Reuters ran stories saying that over 500 people had been killed, turns out that, you know, barely a dozen died. Now, it was terrible that barely a dozen people died. There's no doubt about that. But why did they die? Because of a misfiring missile mm. launched by Islamic Jihad. But you wouldn't have known that for at least a couple of days. I mean, the, the mainstream media, the alphabet networks went with it. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the big war crime going on here. And Israel had to painstakingly show uh, with incontrovertible evidence that such a thing had not, in fact, happened. And then when that happened, it was like, uh, you know, Mark Twain's uh, old famous line that uh, uh, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth gets a chance to put its pants on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, after that, it's like, oh, um, yeah, I guess that that didn't happen. Uh, See the retraction on, you know, section C, page 22, next to the ads for, you know, you, you name it. Very, very much downplayed after all of that. After the damage has already been done. Yeah, so so you have that. You also have the fact that we live in the Internet age where, like our prophecy updates mm. here, I, I get the last update that I, I share with you guys, uh, and sometimes it drives our host crazy, about two minutes or so before we go on the air. Mm-hmm. Like I'm running in here at the last minute because I'm still trying to crunch numbers and data and stories and figuring out what's what's what and is this significant and you know what to share with you all. But uh, it, it's almost instantaneous. And uh, you not only have you know what I would consider bad actors, 
like Reuters and the AP. And full disclosure, when I worked in radio and television news, I worked for the Associated Press. Mm. I was named the Associated Press Contributor of the Month three different times here in Arizona when I worked for them. Mm. Uh, doesn't give me any joy to see them set aside their journalistic integrity and become a propaganda outlet, but that's pretty much what they've become. Uh, to add to this, you've got uh, an outlet maybe you've heard of before, Al Jazeera, run out of gutter, the same uh, Gulf state, oil-based Gulf state that gives luxury accommodations to the forehead honchos that run Hamas, who, by the way, are billionaires. Uh, how they get so rich, that's another story. But the bottom line is if Al Jazeera uh, could find any kind of substantiated story about an IDF soldier raping a Palestinian woman, it would not only be all over Al Jazeera, it would be all over CNN, it would be all over Fox News, it would be all over MSNBC, ABC, CBS, you name it, mm. uh, because, oh, look at this, you know, we, we need to have a ceasefire. That's the agenda is to get a ceasefire going. That's what Iran wants before Hamas is completely wiped out as one of their terroristic clients. They want to hold on for dear life mm -hmm. right now. So if there was any way of doing that, I guess, they would have done it. So that's my uh, analysis. That's, that's my take on it. I, everybody's got a take. But I think uh, having worked in news before, and uh, again, having analyzed what's going on here, particularly through media outlets like Al Jazeera, uh, which definitely uh, are advocacy journalists, uh, the fact that uh, we see uh, even uh, uh, our current administration being criticized by a lot of the different media outlets for being too pro-Israel at this point. Uh, you know, academia, you know, the Ivy League schools, hardcore in the corner for Hamas, mm -hmm. not even wanting to call them terrorists anymore. It seems, it seems like if something like that had happened, we'd know about it, because that would be a card that the other side, propaganda-wise, would really want to play. And Israel knows this. Mm. When Israel goes to fight, they understand this. Uh, and, and so could you have, you know, maybe someone who slipped through the cracks and is a psychopathic bad actor? Well, like I say, there were a few uh, that fought for us in World War II, right? But, uh, you know, is it absolutely impossible? It's not absolutely impossible, but it would be highly unlikely for the reasons we've just enumerated. Uh, Israel's enemies would love nothing better than to run with that kind of a story. So far, just scuttlebutt. Just, mm -hmm. well, you know, I, I heard this happen. So, yeah, you know. And there's another significant difference, wouldn't you say, that if that, if a report like that were to be true, that person would be prosecuted to the fullest extent of Israeli law. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas when Hamas commits these atrocities, they even have a designated officer status called a rape officer. <laughs> yeah. There was a new report that showed that they actually had people in charge of basically seeing through, making sure that all the women get raped. <laughs> I mean, what in the world? <laughs> so they celebrate it. Barbarians. If, yeah. if an Israeli soldier were to do something... And, 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 that's a, crime, and I have to apologize to barbarians for saying that. Mm. But if, a, if, a, if a, an IDF soldier committed a war crime, they would be immediately prosecuted. I mean, that's Western value. That's why Derek Chauvin's in prison right now, because he 
committed a crime. So, and he's an officer of the law. And so, if an idea, I mean, that's what I would tell your uh, those who are sharing those kinds of. Um, first, where's the evidence? What facts do we have? We have actual footage, uh, all kinds of forensic reports of the countless rapes that did take place. The fact that they have messages on Hamas terrorists telling them what to do to do this. The fact <laughs> that Hamas themselves on their social media platforms broadcast these rapes. Hmm. You know, it's not like the IDF had to do much digging. It was like, here we are. It's what yeah. we do. Yeah. You know, we're, we're about that. So, um, so I guess that's, that would be how I would respond hmm. to all of that. Uh, and, you know, again, the, the, bringing it back to the, the scriptural point of view. You know, I love what Psalm 33 says. Hmm. It says, for the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually and considers all their works. Um, could somebody get away with some kind of an atrocity? Uh, well, possibly, uh, as far as human uh, law is concerned, but not as far as God's concerned. God is going to definitely uh, judge all people righteously in this set of circumstances. Hmm. I, I had a question. I was reading, I've been trying to understand where these protests have been these protests are huge all over the globe and it's just bewildering there's a one youtuber i like watching uh where he goes and just interviews people um and he was asking some palestinian palestinian protesters or those who are protesting on their behalf but the, the some of the people he was interviewing appear to have palestinian roots themselves uh, we're just saying things that are completely opposite, uh, a, a completely different narrative. Like, and, and so I wanted to go back to, they keep saying things like occupation, even Barack Obama used the word occupation in a recent address on the situation. Right. And it, it, it seems to me that the history ought to be pretty plain. I mean, when Israel was made a, an official state, a country, in May 14th, 1948, <clears throat> My understanding was is that the Arabs, quote-unquote the Palestinians, who were living in the land at the time, were encouraged to stay, is that Israel would protect them and have them equal rights citizens. But that massive radio messages from the surrounding Arab countries who did not want Israel to exist at all right. were telling them, we're going to wipe them out, don't stay there, get out, we're going to go to war. So everyone left thinking they would just go right back because they Into assumed... Into the areas we would know today as the refugee camps. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that they would wipe Israel off the map and then they would just go back to those areas that they had been living in. But apparently there's a whole other narrative where that didn't happen. That wasn't the case. They said that the... Uh, what I've been hearing some of these uh, protesters say is that no, 75 years ago, the Israelis at gunpoint, at, at, at force forced all these powers, that they wanted to have a strictly Jewish country, even though it's 20% Arab now. <laughs> Boy, they did a horrible job, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, how do you respond to these? Well, well, facts on the ground, right? If that was, in fact, the case, uh, why would any self-respecting uh, Palestinian uh, want to have Israeli citizenship? Yet many do. Why, if that were the case, why would Israel, and, and this kind of goes down to a term that gets, Israel's an apartheid state. Well, an apartheid state is run by one racial group and that racial group alone. Uh, the fact that in the Knesset, you have a uh, Muslim, Arabic, Palestinian 
uh, coalition party that has just as many, uh, just as much right to vote as anybody else does mm. in the Knesset. Uh, there's no prohibition against Palestinians owning land. Uh, there's no prohibitions against uh, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship voting. Uh, there's no prohibitions uh, against Palestinians uh, being able to use the same facilities, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as uh, you know, shopping or commerce or anything else like that, uh, entitled to the same police protections and so on mm-hmm. as an Israeli. So clearly the, uh, the, the jibe at Israel uh, that they're a Palestinian state or a, an apartheid state uh, just doesn't hold water doesn't fit the definition. Uh, so, you know, it gets thrown around because it carries a lot of heft and it's kind of the emotional red herring and oh my mm-hmm. gosh, they're just like yeah. South Africa, we need to get rid of these people. Uh, so uh, when, when people throw around these sort of things, um, they just hold their feet to the fire, yeah. ask them to define their terms, ask mm-hmm. them saying, okay, well, give me a for instance, you yeah. know, let's talk about that. You know, yeah. So, and, that, and that's not to say, that we think that Israel gets everything right, or it's the perfect society, or, you know, I mean, Israel's got all kinds of problems with the group called the Haredi, the, uh, the ultra-Orthodox, who don't believe that Israel should even be a nation, but don't mind receiving checks from the government so they can study the Talmud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're very, not very pleasant people if you encounter them uh, in Israel, the, the vast majority of people in Israel are kind of embarrassed by them and say, well, don't pay attention to those people. They're, they're, they're pretty fanatical and, you know, but they've got a carve out. They've got a set aside that uh, Israel put together with this government. So does Israel have problems? Yes. There's no doubt about it. Does the United States have problems? Yes. There's no doubt about it. But the difference between the United States and say an organization like Hamas or the mad mullahs running the show in Tehran is if you think we've got a problem in this country, you can talk to a representative and hopefully uh, nobody's going to drag you out and hang you the next day. Mm. Um, You know, again, when we see what happened in Gaza, when Gazans wanted to leave and not be human shields, uh, the uh, Hamas uh, guerrillas were gunning them down, Mm -hmm. using RPGs on the, the buses they were using to try to get out. Uh, you know, to say that there's some kind of moral equivalence here, I think, uh, just betrays the facts on the ground. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, <clears throat> it's very hard to listen to, but you just kind of think, gosh, is there a way to get through to people that <laughs> the narrative they're believing is completely false? Yeah. Uh, going to go to our, our archive of questions. Um, what do we know about John the Baptist? Do we know at what point he started his ministry? How do we know his cousin Jesus was the Savior, especially to say, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, uh, yeah. from John. Yeah, yeah. John the Baptist is a, a very interesting uh, individual. He's an interesting individual uh, historically, uh, because uh, no less a person than the Jewish historian Josephus talks quite a bit about John and uh, gives uh, pretty much confirmation, uh, or I don't know if it's confirmation. Uh, I think the Bible confirms Josephus, not the other way around, but uh, confirms uh, the, uh, the essential uh, aspects of his ministry. Yeah, we can know quite a bit about uh, when John began 
uh, his ministry. In the book of Luke, chapter 3, in verse 1, we're told, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went in all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written, the, the, uh, the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, here we can pinpoint exactly when John the Baptist's ministry began. It was in, uh, uh, we know that uh, Tiberius Caesar began to reign when Augustus, uh, his uh, cousin, uh, or I should say his stepfather Augustus died in AD 14. So when we take these various individuals and we can pinpoint historically when they came to power, when all of these different things, it's almost like uh, we can uh, triangulate exactly when John the Baptist's uh, ministry took place. For instance, Herod is Herod Antipas, who ruled Galilee from 4 BC to AD 39. Herod's brother Archelaus was in control of Judea and Samaria until AD 6 when he was banished. Herod's older brother Philip uh, ruled the northern areas east of the Jordan River. Annas uh, was the high priest from 7 to 14 AD, but was succeeded by Caiaphas, his son-in-law, around 18 AD. Mm. So, you know, when we put all this together, uh, we can pretty much determine that John the Baptist's ministry began roughly around that time on the calendar. That John the Baptist probably, because his father and his mother came from the tribe of Levi, would uh, honor the Levite tradition of beginning his ministry, if you will, at the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And so we can pretty much know how old John was. Uh, we know that he and Jesus were roughly six months apart. Uh, and, and so uh, when we see this ministry beginning, we can triangulate and uh, come to the conclusion that John the Baptist had a ministry that was going for a number of years, and then Jesus came on the scene afterwards, roughly somewhere between 30 and 33 AD, depending on which chronology you tend to favor. Right. So. And how did, how would his, how would he know that his cousin, that's the next part of his question, uh, thanks John for this question, if you're ever listening, how would he have known that his cousin was the Savior, the Messiah, uh, of, of whom he said, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose? Well, probably he got it uh, as simply as possible from the old man. Uh, remember his father, Zacharias, and uh, his, his uh, mm. mother, Elizabeth, uh, well past childbearing years, very Abrahamic uh, overtones mm -hmm. uh, to all of this. Uh, the angel Gabriel uh, told Zacharias when he was performing his priestly duties that uh, he was going to give uh, birth to the forerunner. And uh, Zacharias kind of scoffed at it and said, well, how in the world that can that happen? Because we're way too old for all of that. And uh, Gabriel basically pulled rank and said, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God uh, because you didn't believe you're going to be struck mute for a time. Uh, and uh, when the child is born, you're going to name him John. So Zacharias came out. Everybody looked at him, saw that he had seen some kind of a vision, couldn't speak, and, uh, and so remained silent until the child, in fact, 
was born. But uh, we are told that after John the Baptist was born, uh, that uh, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and uh, they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias, but his mother answered says, no, he shall be called John. They said, there's no one among your relatives with that name. What are you doing here? Uh, so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. So apparently, uh, Zacharias was not only mute, he was deaf because they had to communicate to him in sign language. They just mm. couldn't speak to him at that point. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, saying his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loose, and he spoke praising God. Now listen to his praise to God. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been, with a, who have been since the world began, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform mercy promised to us by our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, shall be called prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring on, on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Well, that's what he said as soon as his mouth was loosed. Mm. Um, seemed to have a pretty good idea what this plan was all about. And remember something, John the Baptist, we, we see the way he behaved, the, way, the, the things that he ate, the fact that he didn't drink was probably committed to God to fulfill what was called a Nazarite vow. That is, from the time he was a child, he had these, uh, these restrictions on what he could eat, uh, how he would dress, uh, you know, the cutting of his hair and so mm -hmm. on, just like Samson that we saw in the book of, of Judges. So how did John know when he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Because he was a relative. And because his father had taught him about all of that. And as John grew, he probably talked with Mary and with Joseph about what had happened and what prophecies were given to them about Jesus. And that he and Jesus, in, in essence, uh, had to encounter. We don't know if they grew up together, but they had to have encounters with one another. And uh, the, the most interesting thing to me is not, you know, did John, John recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Uh, the thing that's really amazing to me, and it just shows you the uh, trustworthiness and uh, the veracity of Scripture, is in Matthew chapter 11, after John got thrown in jail by Herod, he sent messengers to Jesus saying, yeah. are you the one that we should be looking for or should we look for another? Hmm. You know, <clears throat> Was that because John the Baptist may have grown up with some of the preconceived notions that the Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman government? Well, it, it's entirely possible but I think the other side of it may have been, um, well, uh, you know, I, I'm being wrong for being right. Um, you know, why don't you use some of this messianic power to get me out of jail? Uh, you know, uh, you know, my, my life's on the line every day with this maniac uh, that has me here for no good purpose. And, and you can see that although John was a very godly man, uh, John was a man who, who was prophesied. He was human, just like the rest of us. And it's so interesting how Jesus turns around 
And uh, at first, it doesn't answer the question directly. He then performs a number of healings uh, in front of the emissaries that were sent there. And then he has a very interesting thing to say to John to encourage him. He said, go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended or stumbled Mm. because of me. That's Matthew 11, the parallels, uh, Luke 7. Yeah. 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 So here you see Jesus responding by saying, okay, John, let's get back in the word, you know. What did the word say Messiah would do mm. when he came? And what am I doing right now? He didn't say anything about Messiah's doing jailbreaks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whether that was what discouraged him or not, you know, we can only speculate. We're not told. Yeah. But the, the, the bottom line, though, is that, uh, you know, here we see uh, the, the reliability of Scripture verified to us because this mm-hmm. is what we would call an account of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Someone who grew up with Jesus having doubts about Jesus, yeah, you know, and how does Jesus respond? He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, no one's arisen greater than John, but he who's least in the kingdom of God mm. is greater than he. Wow. Amazing statement. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, and thanks for that answer. We'll uh, get back here tomorrow, same place, same time. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.